welcome to our Bible Ponder for this week. We're going to continue our um, sort of mini-series looking at the idea of um, doing things like word studies, um, things that are helpful to get us back into the mind of the writers of the ancient documents that have been collected into what we call the Bible. And we talked a little bit about both the pros and the cons of word studies, how word studies can be really helpful, how they can be done well, um, but also how um, sometimes they can just be distractions or um, we can almost follow it too far to seeing um, the biblical text and the ancient languages themselves as some sort of hidden code in which you can find um, meaning under every rock and that, that you can't really know the whole meaning until you decipher the secret code, um, when really it's just a work of um, translation. But it's not just translation like we would do from sort of English to Spanish or English to French or, or um, something like that, but it is also translation across um, decades and centuries and millennia. So we're not just translating words, we're also translating cultures and translating history. And so um, it is slightly more complicated than just translating English to Spanish, but it is also, um, although even translating English to Spanish, you're still de dealing with cultures in some ways because language and culture are tied in together all the ways, um, but it's not all of the way over to seeing the ancient texts as some kind of cryptic hidden code. Um, it's, it's a language and sometimes language functions just like a language does. Um, in the book of James, for example, there's a story about how, or there's a story, there's, James is talking about how um, you need to tame your tongue and you need to watch what you say because the tongue and the things that you say are very, um, can be very incendiary. The word for tongue means tongue. It's the thing in your mouth. Um, it talks about how the tongue, how if an, un, an unreined in tongue is like the bit in a horse's mouth. The words for the bit in the horse's mouth is a bit that you put in a horse's mouth so that you can turn the horse wherever you want, something that we still use today. So it's not always some kind of hidden code with hidden meaning. Sometimes it's just language and they're just words. But sometimes there are words in different languages that might not be captured by a perfect English cognate word. Um, and I use the example that we understand that really well living in Scotland, that using um, Scots or Doric, um, there are words that you use when speaking in, in those languages that just aren't quite captured quite perfectly by one um, sort of matching English word. It's not always a one-for-one -one equivalency. Sometimes there's a word in one language that has a bit of a meaning and a flavor that isn't quite captured perfectly in another language. And so that led us to last week where we talked about the Hebrew word chesed, um, which um, is often translated um, in something like the King James Bible, is older as mercy, but that um, our modern ideas of mercy don't really get at what that word chesed sort of means. And it can kind of mean loving kindness as one word, which is sort of an invented word, again, because there's not one word that captures it, but it's also faithfulness and, and sort of a zeal in it. And it's got a lot of different sort of English ideas wrapped up into this one word, which makes it quite an interesting word to unpack. So I wanted to use that and kind of springboard into the New Testament to see how this works with um, quite a big idea and how sometimes our understanding of language can have a pretty big impact on our wider theology, our wider sense of how God is moving in the world and how Christianity as a religion sort of functions. 
And so one of the ways that happens is in our um, rediscovery and reinterpretation of ancient texts. As we learn more about ancient cultures, we're constantly, um, or at least pretty regularly in the last couple centuries, discovering new things archaeologically about ancient cultures. We're maybe discovering um, occasionally some new texts here or there, not super frequently, but with something like the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery, we learn a whole lot um, in a pretty short space of time about ancient cultures that we didn't know before. We can study the ancient languages better than we could before. It's easier to access um, ancient documents and you can see scans of them digitally. You can get a hold of better translations than we've had before. So it's really quite a, a new and exciting world of understanding antiquity and especially understanding the world that the New Testament is birthed out of. Um, and so one of the shifts that has kind of begun happening is in the way that we understand Paul and Paul's letters. Um, for a long time, it's been pretty set in stone, at least since the Protestant Reformation, how we kind of understand Paul. And the basic idea of understanding um, the main sort of thrust of his theology, especially as presented in something like the book of Romans, is that Paul sees Jesus and Christianity as coming to do away with a legalistic and works-based Judaism, right? So this might sound really familiar to you, and, and when you hear me kind of talk about why this is maybe wrong, that might sound kind of confusing. But um, it's this idea that Judaism is a, is a religion that's based on earning God's favor by doing the following the laws perfectly. So by tithing a certain amount, or by following festivals, by the ritual cleansing, circumcision, dietary laws, all of those things, that only when you do all of those things are you then saved by God under the old covenant? And that Jesus has come to do away with all of that and make a new religion where you don't have to do any of those works to earn God's salvation. Now, there's a few um, kind of problems with that as we unpack and as we learn more about ancient antiquity and actually as we study Paul, is that is a maybe a helpful way to understand um, maybe uh, kind of 16th century Catholicism. <laughs> and, and it's a pretty good understanding of how Luther saw the Catholic Church as a legalistic works-based faith um, through which people were having to do certain things in order to earn God's salvation. And so you can kind of trace how Luther and then the other reformers kind of took that mindset and put it back onto their understanding of Paul's letters without a really fully robust view of ancient Judaism, especially not first century Judaism, and, and especially locating Paul within that world. Um, and so what you actually have then within that sort of what we've come to sort of feel is almost a traditionally Christian way of reading Paul is actually a, a kind of interpolated Luther's view of Catholicism. It was really helpful for him to see what Paul was seeing in Judaism as what he was seeing in the Catholic Church. That was really helpful for him and helpful for how he was going to try and reform the church. But what you end up with is a sort of misunderstanding of Paul. 
And so there has been a push in scholarship in the last hundred years or so to um, to kind of relook at Paul on his own terms. And rather than going in already with the mindset that what Paul is writing against is a legalistic Judaism, and he's trying to free us with that, free us from legalistic Judaism in Christ, and just sort of open it back up again. Let's read it again for the first time and, and see kind of what pops out to us. And there's a couple of things that come out of it, um, and one of which specifically relates to this idea of a kind of word study um, that, that we'll maybe get to next week. But I want to set us up for that conversation here. So there's a couple of places to begin with, um, with what has sometimes been called a new perspective on Paul. And it's basically just saying, let's look at Paul on Paul's own terms. Let's remember he is a Jew living in the first century who is converted by miraculous vision to see Jesus as the Messiah, and that he starts to reinvent a lot of how he sees his own religion, and that he is not trying to break away from Judaism, but is seeing Christ and this sort of new way forward as a continuation of the religion that he's been brought up in, um, but that Jesus himself was a reformer of Judaism. So the first place that starts is an interpretation of a phrase that Paul uses, um, which translates essentially as works of the law. And that phrase is not really a difficult translation. That's not the main word study bit that I want to get to. Again, we'll probably get to that next week. But it is a phrase that we have often come to see as a, a sort of works-based righteousness, again, that legalistic way. And so that we see that when Paul talks about in the old way, it was works of the law, and in the new way, it's um, maybe just faith in Christ, which is part of the, the thing we'll get to, um, or it's just it's faith or it's works, and that we see them as sort of diametrically opposed things. What um, scholars are coming to understand is that what Paul is maybe talking about is not necessarily that there is some kind of legalistic faith that's trying to earn God's favor versus a non-legalistic faith, but that works of the law is maybe more specific than that, and specifically about customs under the Torah, because that's what law, the law is when Paul talks about it most of the time. He's not talking about law in just a sort of general legal sense, the laws of a country. He is specifically talking about the Torah, the, the Jewish understanding of what the law would be. And so works of the law is probably better understood as just those customs that they were doing as, as they were taught in the Torah. And so when he's sort of talking about it, he's not talking about how in the old way they had to do all of these things in order to earn God's favor. And Paul's argumentation in, in Romans goes especially, look at Abraham. Abraham was credited to God as righteous through his own faith, not because he had earned God's salvation through his works of the law, because the law didn't exist yet. So that's not saying that, that Abraham wasn't legalistic and therefore he's saved or, or whatever, but just to say that Abraham actually predates the law and Abraham actually gets the covenant from God without doing all of those customs that come later. And so what Paul's maybe arguing is that um, all of these little customs aren't the point, <laughs> that, that, that God's covenant with people with God's covenant with Israel especially wasn't necessarily based on the law. The covenant comes before 
the law. And so it's not the doing of the customs that earns God's favor, but that you already have God's favor as part of the covenant, but that God has now fulfilled his covenant in Christ. And so now we have a new covenant and then the argument goes from there. And so what this would argue is that that, that seeing the Judaism of Paul's time as, as potentially just a legalistic, you have to earn God's salvation, isn't quite the way. I think they definitely had an emphasis on those rituals and those works of the law over and above the heart of what God is wanting. But what Paul is saying is Israel already is in covenant with God. They don't need to earn that salvation. Those works of the law um, become a way of kind of staying faithful to that covenant. But they're not what earns God's salvation. And so the first sort of turn when we understand Paul on his own terms in, in sort of his ancient context is to turn away from just the binary of seeing Judaism as legalistic and Christianity as not. And so that's kind of the main thrust. And that's it, it's more nuanced than that. And it's more about customs, because what Paul is also dealing with is new converts to Christianity from the Greek world and the Roman world who were being forced by some people to try it and become um, immersed in these works of law, these works of Torah, in order to earn their place. And so what Paul is saying is, why are you making these people follow these Jewish customs when that's not the point? That's not the point of the covenant. In fact, even Abraham, who is our forefather, the founder of, of the nation and, and all of us, he didn't do any of the works of the law because the law didn't even exist. So why are we making these new Christians do it? So you, you can see how the, it's not a big difference there, but it starts to become a big difference because that leads into um, the discussion about doing good works. So um, the other danger with that, before I move on quickly, is that in, in that sort of Lutheran, um, specifically dealing with Martin Luther, the, that led him to a place where he was really demonizing Judaism specifically. He got really fixated on how the Jews killed Jesus and how Judaism was so bad, it was so legalistic, and that's what Paul hates and all of it. And he got so wrapped up in this idea of Judaism versus Christianity as separate ideas that has influenced us a lot, that it led him to really anti-Semitic places. And Luther, Luther was, was quite an anti-Semite. He hated Jews a lot. And a lot of his way of thinking... Um, trickles down through the centuries to um, a, a Nazi Germany kind of view that takes bits of Christianity and demonizes Judaism. So there's a real danger in that old kind of way of, of seeing it as a really binary thing. And we have to remember that probably what Luther is doing is probably reading more of his own situation with the Catholic Church onto what Paul is doing. Um, and, and it's not that Paul is so anti-Jewish in the way that actually Luther maybe was. Um, so where that leads us to then is, if it's not about, if this new faith in Christ is not about whether or not we do good works to earn God's salvation, or we don't have to do any works to earn God's salvation, then we're actually kind of freed from a really difficult um, sort of mind-bending way of interpreting where we we do this whole, it's not legalistic righteousness. We don't have to do good works to earn God's favor. So so it's fine. So I don't have to do any works that I've just got salvation. Well, no, no, no. You, you have to do good works because that's part of it. And then you read James in chapter two and anyone who sees their brother or sister in need and does nothing is 
you know, basically horrible. And so it's like, so we do have to do good works then, otherwise God's mad at us. No, 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 no. It's 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 not works that are in a salvation. It's it's grace through faith. And and do you see how that leads us into sort of a, a sort of brain twister of a problem? But if we're not setting up this dichotomy between works-based righteousness and grace through faith, then and they're not diametrically opposed, then we're freed from a sort of brain twister where good works are part of what we have as our salvation, not because we're earning God's favor. We have God's favor already, but that within God's favor, good works are part of how we are faithful to our side of this new covenant, this covenant that God has made with us through the blood of Christ. We have a part to play in it. And part of that part is being the kind of people who change the world for the better, for to, to have more love and justice and kindness and all of the things that Paul lists in the fruits of the spirit and all of that sort of thing. So that is is really, really um, a small sliver in a nutshell of how we're going to start to see Paul on Paul's own terms and how we're going to kind of move away from a very um, Reformation era, um, interpreting a view of a legalistic Catholic church that's forcing you to buy your salvation through indulgences and reading that back onto Paul and his view of Judaism. As we lift that from, from that sort of prison, we'll see how we actually end up with an interesting place with a word study and a translation. And that translation is actually going to come in a couple of places and, and centers around a phrase that I'll talk about more next week, um, or, or um, actually potentially the week after. I'm on holiday next week, so in two weeks' time we'll get to this. And that is this idea of um, a phrase that is the faith of Christ, or is it the faith in Christ? Or is it the faithfulness of Christ? It's two words in Greek, and we've just given three different possible English translations. And uh, a lot of how we translate that comes out of either this old perspective on Paul, that's Lutheran and Reformation, or it's this what's sometimes called a new perspective on Paul. So ne um, next time, in two weeks' time, we'll talk about this phrase, faith of Christ, faith in Christ, faithfulness of Christ, whatever it is, and we'll unpack why um, these, what these specific translations kind of infer, what's at stake, and um, what I think is maybe the right kind of way forward um, through doing that. So um, join us for that. I hope this was an interesting sort of setup into, into looking at that, and that um, we'll have a really interesting um, kind of thing to talk about in two weeks' time. So thanks for joining us. And I hope you have a good evening. <laughs>